Welcome to the Tigers History Podcast. I'm Nathan Bierma. It had been almost 20 years since the Detroit Tigers last made the postseason, and just three years since a nightmare season where they set an American League record for losses. But in 2006, it all came together for the Tigers as they advanced to the playoffs and made the World Series. Nate Robertson was there in 2003 and in 2006, along with his gum. I talked to him about feast and famine in his years with the Tigers, his new career as a minor league owner, and his perspective on the prospects now for another Tigers turnaround. Nate Robertson, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Uh, Glad to be here. Your sophomore year at Wichita State, you underwent Tommy John surgery, and with Tommy John being in the news so much now, we're used to it, and we know that it's not a death sentence for pitchers. But I always wondered if pitchers worry that it will diminish them somehow. What was your view going into that as a college sophomore? What effect did you think it would have on your career? Well, you know, it was it was still a well-known surgery back then. Um, <clears throat> I, I had a prospect status, so I was thankful that our, our uh, orthopedic in Wichita uh, wanted me to get a second opinion. Um, they, I, I was fortunate enough to get in front of Frank Joe of all people, the founder of the surgery. And so I knew I was in good hands. And so I was still, you know, I was 19 years old and I was, you know, you're thinking you have your big league dreams and things like that, but you're still at the back of your mind. You're, you're wondering if, uh, you know, this is the end of the road. And at what point did you get over that fear? How did that play out as throughout college and into the draft? Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, the rehab, um, it was, uh, it's a, it's a long process. Uh, you know, I, I went through my ups and downs, my peaks and my valleys, and there's days I felt better than others. I actually came back into, uh, into competition, uh, pretty quick. I was nine months removed and I gotten back into my first game, uh, the following season. I had a July surgery and I was back playing uh, spring ball with the shockers. And, you know, I, I got out there. My first outing was, it was okay and, uh, you know, obviously a little tentative, especially when it came to throwing like a breaking ball, which was my slider. And, you know, just really getting to that point where you believe that everything was fixed, um, it's all good, and, you know, you can you can start letting it go. And that, that took a while. That probably took another three months before I got that mindset. And, um, I really started to thrive uh, in summer ball that year, college summer ball, and actually had a really, really good summer. Uh, won a uh, an amateur tournament uh, here in Wichita, and pitched the championship game actually in the NBC World Series, and and so it, it really was a springboard for my uh, professional career to come. So you debuted with the Marlins, and then you were traded to the Tigers before the 2003 season. Spent that much of the season in Toledo, and then were called up in August. Obviously, the 03 season was not going well for the Tigers. What was that clubhouse like when you walked into it in August? Was there a feeling of being defeated? Was there a feeling of defiance, not wanting to break that record for losses in a season? What was that like to walk into? Well, I think for the for the veterans, it was it was miserable. Uh, we didn't have a ton of those. We had, you know, we had a lot of guys. We had a lot of youth in there, and it was really, you know, by the time I got called up, it looked like most of our AAA team that started the year. <laughs> in triple a um but you know there was the growing pains of it all and um the, you know the, those were the actually the worst months of being on that team uh when i got called up because that was that's when people started talking about a record you know and everywhere we went it was a joke you know we were a joke and 
just we got crushed and um but you know really the highlight of that year uh, for the entire team is we had to beat Minnesota three out of four games uh in the final series of the season to avoid 120 losses which is the record and and we did that it was it was just uh, I, I remember all of us you know just playing loose relaxed baseball and just having a blast and uh and we we fended them off and and they were obviously a very very solid club i actually had i had game one against uh johan santana and we locked up and i actually had him beat and we ended up winning the game i i got a no decision but um it was really just an it was for it was a showcase for the organization it was you know giving guys a chance to go out there and perform and you know, and seeing what the future held. And so the guys that uh, obviously stuck around for the next several years were the ones they retained, and they weeded out who they didn't think was going to be part of the equation. That was an amazing rally that last week of the season. Now, you said the team was loose. To me, it would seem like that's the most tense week there was with the, with the record on the line. What did you tell yourselves? What did Alan Trammell tell you to make that rally? You know, I think it was business as usual. Um, I think that... Uh, you know, for the players, there was just, you got a sense of, Hey, you know, this is it. Um, this might be it for some of us forever. This might be it for some of us in the Tigers uniform. Um, and certainly, uh, there was four games left in, in that situation where we're like, well, you know, we, we know, we all know what's at stake here. Uh, and we didn't want to go down in history books, uh, for the wrong reason. So, um, you know, we went out there, we competed, and, you know, typically when you play relaxed baseball or any other sport for that matter, it's, you know, you're going to have better results. And, you know, when you put added pressure, there's already enough pressure in the big leagues, so guys went out there, played loose, and, and uh, we took three or four. So you and Alan Trammell were around for a couple more seasons, and then Jim Leland comes in at the start of the 06 season. I think there's consensus that Alan Trammell shouldn't get blame or at least full blame for that 03 year. But at the same time, there seems to be consensus that Jim Leland really brought something different to the clubhouse. Is that how you see it, that the 03 season wasn't at least primarily Alan Trammell's fault, but that Jim Leland did bring something different to the clubhouse? Yeah, no, completely correct on both comments. And I'd say that, you know, Tram is an incredible baseball man. He's a baseball gentleman. And, um, you know, had an incredible career and brought a lot to the table as far as knowledge of the game and, and you know, easy guy to talk to, uh, easy guy to approach, um, you know, and we obviously admired his uh, his professionalism and his career. And, and the staff, you know, we had a good staff there. Um, you know, we had Big Wheel there and Lance Parrish and we had Kirk Gibson and Bob Pluck was a good pitcher. We just, we just were young and experienced and we didn't have the right pieces in place. And that was really – you know, that's where the general manager comes into play, and, and uh, Dave Dombrowski was doing his, you know, he was building a foundation. And so, you know, the guys that were retained uh, from that club uh, to be part of that 06 transition uh, was one of the neatest things to see. It was, you know, it, it really was just rewarding for all of us to have gone through such a tough time in our careers and then turn around and, Three years later, you're playing for a world championship. How would you contrast Trammell and Leland as managers? What was the? Can you explain what the feel was like when Leland came in in '06? Uh, Leland is, I mean, they're they're both uh, you know a player's manager. 
Um, they're both very easy to approach. Uh, Leland can be a, a little bit more intense. You know, I think when, at Trammell as a player, you know, he went out there, he played the game the right way, he played it hard. He wasn't a big, you know, he wasn't a, a huge vocal guy, whereas uh, Leland could get vocal. He could get very vocal. And, uh, you know, he was fiery, uh, but he was also, you know, he, he just he knew how to pick his moments, Leland. And um, we, we certainly, we all trusted both of them. I mean, it comes down to players' trust, and it also – as far as um, you know, getting a player to play for you, and sometimes you know the the culture in the clubhouse. You know, if you're not winning baseball games, I mean, Leland will always say winning cures everything. So that's true. I mean, if you're you're on a winning club, I mean, the culture there is that is, you know, everybody wants to be there. Everybody wants to play for that. You know, that staff, and and we all want to get the job done. And so, uh, you know, but look at it this way too. I mean, at the time, you know, we. Started adding pieces along the way. You get Pudge, you get Maglio, and '06. You added some veterans with our young guys, with Kenny and Todd Jones, and and uh, Carlos Guillen, and and then you had me and me and Bondo and Verlander coming up, and Zamaya, a couple flamethrowers, and you had Brandon Inch had been there, and it just it all it all came together with Grandy, and it was just a, it was a good it was just a good mix of players. You know, talent is. You know, people talk about talent. Talent. If you're in the big leagues, you got talent. Everybody's got talent in the big leagues. So, we had a talented team. We had a talent in '03. We just didn't have, you know, experience and talent at the same time. And we, you know, we didn't know how to win. You know, it was. But you got to have. You got to have. Uh, be consistent. And there was a heck of a lot more consistency uh, from 2006 on. Really started at you know a dynasty in, in Detroit. Uh, you know, we didn't win championships, but we were there pretty dang close several times and it created a culture of winning and, and you know a bunch of really good ball clubs and it started uh, it started in 06 and it feels like it takes a combination of having the right pieces and then just some intangibles and frankly one of those intangibles in the 06 season was gum time which tiger fans still ask you about uh june 2006 uh you were wired in the dugout for a local tv interview on a day you weren't pitching and uh, you started wadding gum into your mouth, and it seemed to spur a rally. Was the fact that you were mic'd for the interview, did that make you more or, or less likely to do that, or was it just uh, completely spur of the moment? Well, it was, you know, it was one of those games where, uh, you know, the, the crew comes through the clubhouse, and they're trying to get an in-game mic guy, and uh, that's where it really started. So, you know, they came up. I was sitting there talking to Kenny Rogers, and they came up to Kenny and asked, actually asked Kenny to do it. Hmm. And Kenny said, "Ah, just you know, that's for some of these younger fellers." So the, then I was standing right there, and I was like, "Well, you know, whatever, I'll do it since he won't." But I'm, I said, "I'm a pretty boring guy, and uh, I don't know what you're going to get out of me." So I put on the mic, you know. And of course, it's, it's protocol to let your teammates know that you got the mic on in the in the uh, dugout. And so. You know, we're playing the Yankees and they're beating us. I think it was five nothing, and it was looking like you know, kind of a one way street in that game. And I told the camera crew and the mic, you know, I said, "Hey, I'm going to give you all something. This something, just a little rally cry we did when I was in the little leagues." And uh, I used to throw a big wad of seeds or gum in my mouth. Uh, that's what we would do. And so I, there was a pack of big league chew there and I ripped it open and they put the camera on me and that right as I'm throwing the gum in my mouth, I'm stuffing it in my mouth, Pudge hits a home run. 
and then it just gave birth to TV magic. I mean, it was, you know, they knew that they had the audio of me telling them I was, you know, this is for our rally right here. And then I throw the gum in and he pops a home run. And then all of a sudden I did it two or three more times in that game. We ended up rallying to tie the game. Um, and every time that we had a rally is when I started throwing the gum in and they put the camera on me and the score runs. And we did lose the game, but we tied it. And then just the fans at home, it's just, you're, you're amazed. Cause the next day I actually pitched uh, the next game and I walked out there and they had signs and kids had drawn these signs of me with a big wad of gum in my mouth. And it just gave birth to the, the gum time. And so throughout the season, I mean, I think we led the, I think we led the league in, in, uh, come from behind victories that year. We just had a lot of games where we rallied late and, and had just had some, some magic and, you know, every, every hometown or, you know, with their team, they, they want to have some sort of rally cry. And, uh, you know, we'd go play the angels and they had that dang monkey that always put up on the board and they still do. And, and, uh, this was just kind of Detroit's thing. It, it, it started in Detroit and people followed it. And obviously we had it all the way through the 06 season, which was a magical year. And so it, it's still, it is still talked about today. Yes. <laughs> so you had a great postseason that year. Uh, if we ignore the ALDS, which we can, but you were the game one starter of the ALCS. And I'm curious, everybody says, Oh, it's just another game when you're going out there on the mound. But I'm curious if the pressure, what that's like physically, and does that threaten to alter your pitching mechanics? How do you physically deal with the manifestation of postseason pressure, which you did in game one? Well, I say that, uh, you know, you, you, we can talk about the ALDS, but like we limped, we, the people said we limped into the postseason and we, we, we had a, a playoff spot secured the week before in Kansas City. Uh, and then we, we had to play that final home series against the Royals. They had to sweep us and then Minnesota had to sweep uh, the White Sox to take over first place in our division and win the division. The other card uh, team would be the wild card. So we knew the twins were in and we were in already, but that wasn't secured yet. Who was going to be the central division champion and who was going to be the wild card. And we got swept by the Royals and, and uh, you know, they were playing loose, relaxed baseball. It's kind of similar situation in 03 because the Royals weren't very good that year. And then the twins did sweep the White Sox and, so, um, going into the series against the Yankees, you know, there was the clubhouse. It was just, there was just eerie feeling there about how we finished the year. Um, and I got the ball game one and it just had, you know, they gave me the ball game one. We used a bunch of pitching in that Sunday game and I was the next available starter. We had four starters that had t- tremendous seasons that year, me, Bonneman, Rogers, and Verlander. And those were going to be our four playoff starters. And so I got the ball game one and, you know, um, had it not been for one inning, I had one inning, I gave up five runs and it was because I started it off with an error. Uh, but it was kind of one of those games again, like, you know, just one little play changes the course of the entire game. And, you know, the Yankees went on to beat us and, and, uh, that five run inning really killed us in that, in that, uh, in that outing. But we had a rain out in New York the next day. And then something happened, like everything changed. And then we just like, you know, the guys, uh, the rain out was like godsend. And then all of a sudden we just turned into this team that we were all summer. And we put it on the Yankees the next three days, the next four days, and ended up winning the series. 
And then it, that's, that's, it, it changed the course of the team. Like the confidence was back, but you know, that, that swagger that we had was back. And I ended up getting the ball for game one against the, the A's and, um, you know, locked horns with, uh, Barry Zito in that game. And, and he had a, he had a monster season and it was in Oakland. And if you've never been to Oakland, especially during the playoffs, they're, it's basically football fans in the stands. They're crazy. This is the uh, the electric is is pretty uh, pretty amazing. And you know it was, but I I had you know the, I had the tunnel vision that night. I just if, there was nothing that really got to me. I I knew what I wanted to do. I knew how I wanted to execute it, and I did it with confidence. And so um, had it not been for like a, a little tweak in my shoulder I'm, I'm sure i would have gone deeper in the game but ended up going five scoreless and we got a couple big big swings i remember ng going deep on uh, zito and and uh, we ended up taking that game and um it was a big moment it's, and it set the tone for a very very good oakland team that just swept the twins and then we ended up turning around sweeping sweeping oakland and and getting to the world series and culminates of course with ordonez's home run the walk-off homer to complete the sweep in that moment, did you have a sense that you had just seen one of the great moments in Tigers history? Oh yeah, no, there was no doubt about it. I, I, well, when we came back home to, especially after we, you know, we, you saw it for the first time, and that was just a magical season, uh, you know, as a whole. But when when we came back after winning Game Two against the Yankees, and then having the home field, you know, being at our our home field. And seeing the fans, the electricity in that ballpark was unbelievable. It was just, it was just all in unison. It was, uh, it was amazing. And so, as we made this run, and then we you're putting it on the the A's and came back home, we it's like you just knew it was just a matter of time. We were we were about to put this thing away. And so, you know, in that situation, even with uh, Houston Street on the, on the mound and and the A's team that was very very good, and and they were good ball games that we played against them. Uh, you just felt you were just waiting for that that moment to happen, and yes, there was gum in several of our players' mouths that <laughs> night, and uh, and mags mags went deep, and we all there's uh, some really neat pictures that they captured of when mags was uh, crossing home plate, and we were all celebrating together, and then just to celebrate with the fans as well, we did that with the Yankees. Uh, we we stayed on the field and and uh, just celebrated with the fans for a while, and. And it was, you know, baseball was back in Detroit. There's a lot of talk about the layoff as you guys had a sweep and then the Cardinals took the Mets to seven games. And when I was looking at it, not only did the team have a layoff, but you had a two-week layoff between starts. ALCS, Game 1, October 10, World Series, Game 3, October 24. You don't have anything like that during the regular season. How did you stay fresh? And then you came out strong in Game 3 of the World Series. What did you do in the meantime? Well, we did what we could, and you know, there's nothing like you're not going to be able to match the environment or the, or the atmosphere of, an, of a playoff game. So, we, you know, we after we swept the A's, we had a day. I think we took two days off, and then we got back to work on that Wednesday, knowing that the World Series was starting later that weekend. And you know, you go through spring training type workouts, uh, just keeping fresh. You know, doing some PFP stuff and guys taking BP and then we did some, you know, I think we tried to do our best as far as like throwing live to hitters. Uh, I think we had a couple sessions that we did that and, and we just did, we did what we could. And, you know, it, it, 
it obviously didn't pay off and um we did switch the rotation up and it was you know it was done with knowing that uh you know Kenny pitched extremely well at home that summer and so by him starting game 2 it got him back to Comerica for for game 6 and so he would have had two home starts whereas you know i was pitching on the road and it 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 wasn't really you know those numbers those splits weren't that big of a deal and then and then uh you know verlander starting game 1 and i think it I, I, I'm trying to remember what exactly was the reason for that, but obviously Verlander having he was rookie of the year and having a great arm and and uh, it had something. Also, they the Cardinals had very good numbers against uh, left-handed pitching, so that was the reason why you know that was our understanding of why they bumped guys around. Although you know Kenny pitched well at home, regardless of who had success against lefties, uh, I was left-handed. And, you know, they, they pushed me back to game three. And then Bondo just is Bondo. And he was kind of our, uh, our anchor man in that rotation for the playoffs. And, you know, he was, uh, he was sealing the deal in, in both, uh, the series against the Yankees and the A's. And we were hoping that we'd put him in that position again. Uh, unfortunately, our pitchers, uh, our PFPs obviously didn't work very well. We had, I think we had five errors from our pitchers, which is really sad when you, when they, they affect the outcome of a series that much when, when errors, especially from your pitching staff, um, make a difference. And then our bats went cold. We, you know, we were hitting the ball. We were having timely hits. That was like kind of the pedigree of the team. And we had a lot of clutch hitting that year and, and, uh, we, we just didn't get that. Um, and we got, silenced by a starting staff that wasn't as good as ours. And we got, we got beat by a team that wasn't as good as us. I mean, that was, that was just what it was, but that's baseball. You know, it doesn't matter who the better team is. Uh, I remember, you know, St. Louis came in as a wild card. we having one of the worst records for any playoff team, I think in the history of baseball, I think they were two games over 500 um, entering postseason play. And uh, they ended up winning the world series. They just got hot at the right time. So, it was unfortunate, but it was a great season nonetheless. Yeah, I was wondering about that. When you look back at it and do you say, oh, the Cardinals, they only had 83 wins, they they limped in, as you said, or do you look at it and say, well, they beat the Mets, who had 97 wins that year, they proved themselves in the playoffs. Like you said, they picked the right time to get hot. How much does that regular season record stick in your mind when you, when you say, okay, that's the team that got us? Uh, it doesn't mean anything when it comes to the playoffs. Anything can happen, especially – you know, if you can knock off a team in a short series, those short series are real tricky. You know, the ones that are going on right now, those five-game series, because, you know, I, I don't know as good as we were. I don't know if we would have been able to take the Yankees in seven. I don't, I don't know. Um, I I know that, you know, we took a, a five-game series, and they got us, and that lineup that they had was, like, ridiculous. And good pitching beats good hitting. Everybody knows that, but – um, those short series are real tricky and, uh, you know, now how baseball is today with a one game playoff too. I mean, that's, that is truly a wild card game. I mean, that's just like, you know, anybody can win that game. It's, it's a one game, you know, you're in or you're out, you play all season long to get yourself in that position. You have one chance at it. That's, that's a, uh, that's high intensity. The short series obviously still gives you a shot regardless of who had the better record or better year. 
and then you really kind of find out in, in a seven game series, you know, you know, who's the deepest team and who, you know, who has the deepest staff, who has the deepest bench. Uh, Cause you really start getting into a lot of different scenarios with seven game series. So, um, but we, we kind of hurt ourselves, you know, we, again, the, the errors and, and the, the hitting went cold and, and St. Louis, you know, they could do no wrong. And, and, uh, and they ended up winning it. So at the end of that season, it was a year that seemed to come, maybe not out of the blue, but wasn't fully expected, wasn't that far removed from the 03 season. And to make the World Series felt like an astonishing success. And at the same time, there was this empty feeling of losing in five to the Cardinals. So did it, at the time, did it feel like a success or did it feel like a failure? No, we, you know, when we were in the clubhouse afterwards, you know, we, we truly felt like it was supposed to be our year. We felt like it was, um, you know, we lost a, a series that we should have won, and that didn't last very long. I mean, we in the end, it was it brought baseball back. Uh, you know, we were rock stars in the city. It was I, I was the only one that lived up there all year round, and man, just to be around the city uh, that off season and, and everywhere you went, it was just you can that's you you understood the success of the season by being around the people and the fans because it just did, it just changed things. I mean, people were different. They, they, they acted different. There was an excitement and there was like this anticipation that they couldn't wait for the next season to come. And, um, and I'd lived up there from 2003 to 2010 and it was an off season that I had never, that I'd never, this, it, there was no other off season up there that I had that was the same. I mean, it was the, the off season of 06 was just like a magical time. And that we knew that we, we had a very, very successful season. Um, we did feel like we should have won it, but that lasted just, you know, that, like I said, that was a short period of time in which, you know, now looking back, you know, it, you, it's longer lasting. I guess it's, it's the, the rebirth of believing it should have been ours because at the time, you know, you see that you look around that clubhouse and you had most of these guys coming back and we're thinking in our minds, well, Hey, there's next year. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be in the world series for the next three years and we'll, we'll get one of these. And then, you know, and that didn't happen. You know, it didn't happen the next year. Definitely didn't happen in 08. Um, we came one game short of getting the playoffs in 09 and then I was gone. And of course there was still success, but, um, it just, uh, you know, you're looking back and you wish, you know, you think you're going to be able to get to the World Series again, and it, and it didn't happen again, at least for the teams that I were on that I was on uh, leading up to 2009. You talked about pitching with Justin Verlander that 06 season when he came in as a rookie. Obviously, everybody knew he was going to be good, but did you know that year that he was going to be one of the greatest of all time? What did you see? What did you notice in him? Well, he was still in 06. He was still just a young you know, fireball. He, he, uh, you know, he's a, a, a fierce competitor. He wants to be the best in everything that he does, not just baseball. Um, you know, his first, uh, his, he debuted in 05. He had two short starts where they brought him up and sent him back down. And I remember back then he came in we obviously saw how, um, you know, electric his arm was. It was an incredible talent that, you know, it was just God given talent where he can throw baseball that hard and, you know, he was just young and, you know, just a little, you know, hard headed and you know, he, he was gonna he was gonna do it and he was gonna show everybody he's gonna do it and I remember he got he got hit around quite a bit in those two starts in oh five. So, 
you know, he had a good spring training and they bring it along and everybody knew understood why. I mean, he was the future of the franchise. And, and um, so you, really, you know, you didn't really anticipate which direction it was going to go because just judging by, you know, there's a huge difference between, you know, AAA baseball or the minor leagues and the big leagues. It just is. And, you know, he had all the talent, but could he execute? And his first start, I think he struck out like, I think he, his first start was in Texas, and he struck out like eight guys. No, I mean, he had a, like just threw the heck out of the ball against a good hitting Texas Rangers team, and you know you kind of saw it then. You kind of saw him kind of settling into what he was going to be like right out of the gate, and then he went on to win I don't know sixteen or seventeen games, whatever it was, and, and uh, you know he just he just he believed every time he went out there he was going to beat you, and so. You know, you mix that in with the talent that he had, and obviously, he had a pretty good career out of it. Who are some of the toughest hitters you faced? Who were the names you didn't want to see on the other lineup card when you took the mound? Oh shoot! You want to be here that long? Um, I think. Uh, well, for me, within the division, you know, uh, Matthew Lacroix, he always had my number. Um, there was guys. There's just guys that had your number, and there's guys you had their number. Justin Morneau was a guy I owned. Uh, had a, I had success against Jim Tomey. I had success against some big David Ortiz. Got you know some big name bats, left-handed. Um, but then guys like Matt Lacroix just owned me, and Casey Blake, who was uh, with the Indians, um, also a former college teammate. And then when we played the Angels, uh, Vladimir Guerrero just he dominated me. He killed me. And, you know, some situations there's guys that had good numbers. I didn't face them a ton, but when I did, they got me. And Albert Pujols had, I think he only had 10 at bats, maybe less. Uh, he may have, I might, I might've got him out once or twice. I don't know. But, um, <clears throat> those are some of the names that, uh, just had really, really good, strong numbers against me. But as far as, you know, it, it, it evening out. Yeah. You, you had your guys, that you know and and obviously when you're pitching and you see those guys in the lineup and you kind of like look who's in front of them and look who's behind them you know you know pick your poison and sometimes you could pitch in a situation and not have to give in to a guy and then the next guy might be a good hitter but you might have his number and that's you know you kind of attack that a little bit differently your legacy in Detroit is uh, it centers on the 2016 your legacy in your hometown of Wichita is that you're the man who saved baseball in Wichita. The 2007 season, while you were with the Tigers, you get word that the AA team that you grew up with in Wichita was moving out. What was the importance of that to you, and what did you do in response? Well, there was there was an opportunity once the, the Royals pulled their team out. Um, they went to Northwest Arkansas to a new ballpark. We have an old, old ballpark here. We still have the same one, and that was part of the issue, and if the double-A Royals couldn't survive in Wichita, what could, you know, that was, that was kind of the, the thought process, but it's a, it's a baseball rich town. You know, there's a 84 year old tournament that runs through here. Um, it's been going on for a long time. And, and, um, so there was an opportunity through the American association, you know, they were always looking at expansion and making the league stronger. And that was going to take some investors. And, uh, my older brother had been with, uh, professional baseball here in Wichita since 1999 and at the time he was assistant GM for the Wranglers which is the double a team and um, basically just was presented with an opportunity with like five other investors to form a, a team 
And um, so we came together and, and we put some uh, capital in, in the in the bank and and we uh, started the Wichita Wingnuts. And so it was part of the Independent League American Association. Um, geographically, it was a gold mine for the league. It connected the South Division to the you know the Central and the North, and and it was a gateway to you know a lot of the different cities that are in the league and so we uh we invested in that and and we ran the we ran the NBC tournament here uh for i think 7 years uh while we were also operating the the wing nuts and kept baseball alive yeah you're right we did and that's what we we did here and if we had we not done that um it would have been a baseball stadium that was used 2 weeks out of the year uh so that would have been a very that would have been a very sad day for the for Wichita in baseball, but we've kept an extremely good product here for ten years. Eight out of ten years, we've made it to the playoffs, and five out of those ten, we've made it to the championship series. So it's uh, we've won one of them, and and uh, we've got seven straight division titles, and it's we got a good product on the field. It'd be nice if we had a new ballpark. Um, but it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. We think of former players wanting to be managers or coaches or scouts. What are the transferable skills from being a major league ball player, a pitcher to being in the front office, being an owner? Well, it's a whole nother ball game as far as ownership, um, field management or front office. Those are all different, obviously very different roles. Um, front office being in the general you know if, you, if you're a general manager you've got to be able to know how to go and get players i mean it's it's different independent ball than it is affiliated affiliated ball you get you know you, you're given the players to play at your ballpark whereas we go and actually form our own teams uh but playing on the field and i was a player rep in detroit for four years so i get player representation as a, you know, and going to the meetings and when you're dealing with collective bargaining and the issues of baseball and meeting in the middle and what the owners want, what the players want are two different things. So now it's kind of fun to be on the ownership side, understanding the player's mindset and, uh, you know, trying to help out any way you can to make that, you know, work out. Uh, but also the business aspect of, you know, this is a business, you know, you're operating a business and you're trying to, you know, make the numbers work out good, and and uh, you're you're investing into something that you hope pays off in the end, and and but you know there's there's operational costs and and all the different things that go along with that, and and then just making sure you're coming alongside your front office, giving the resources they need, and establishing relationships. You know the you know the the biggest thing with you got to be established in your community, um, especially corporately. And that's, uh, you know, it builds, it builds your rapport with the, the town and, and, you know, build your brand and your product. So those are a lot of things that I've learned, especially over the last, you know, I, I officially, you know, I came out of baseball as a player in 2014. That was my final season. So these last three, I've been really able to focus heavily on baseball operations here. Um, and, you know, you're the numbers. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm basically a CFO for the, for the team and, and, uh, just making sure that, you know, we're using our resources wisely and, and not, uh, 
you know, not cutting back in areas that we shouldn't and making sure that we can cut back in areas that we should. Um, and it makes it fun. makes it interesting. I enjoy that. I enjoy, I'm a, a student of it. It's something that I haven't mastered, but it's, it's something I've gained a lot of experience from and I enjoy it. Nate, finally, I want to ask you about where we are now in Tiger's history and looking ahead, the window is now closed, has slammed shut on this era of contention that really began with your team in 06. Uh, but now it's going to be a very different story for the next few years. Everyone is hoping that we don't sink as low as the Tigers did in, in 2003. Uh, but there will be some lean years uh, before some success. What would you say to Tiger fans about um, getting through these next few years and what lies ahead? I would tell Tigers fans to be patient, and that's one of the toughest things as a fan. Like, if you're a fan, like, patience is not a – that's not a word that operates well. And, you know, <clears throat> I know that uh, Detroit's got the right people in place. Um, those are the same people that were still making moves, doing business, you know, when I was there. Uh, Al Avila and David Chad, who I know very, very well, they drafted me as a Marlin. They were with, you know, before they came to Detroit. Um, you know, the scouting departments, you know, it's going to be, it, it was left uh, from David Chad and obviously in good hands and getting the right players there in the right mix. It doesn't, you know, sometimes it can happen quick. Nobody thought in 06 we were going to go to the World Series. I mean, it was just, you, you know, we went from 119 losses to two. You know, we had made a major improvement in 04, but then we kind of stayed stagnant around right around the same win total. And then all of a sudden you're in the World Series winning. You know, if you include the playoffs, you went over 100 games. And so it's uh, it can happen quick. And, you know, if you, if you position yourself well in the next year or two, then all of a sudden you've got these young guys and then, then you feel like it's time to make the move. Then you bring in some, you know, a couple big names, uh, free agents, that's exactly what happened in 06. You had a couple of young guys developing. I was one of those guys. And then all of a sudden you bring in a Pudge and you bring in a Maglio and a Kenny. And then, shoot, you're in the World Series. So I would say just to be encouraged by how quick it can happen when it doesn't look good, when it looks bleak, and you look at teams within the division like Cleveland that looks strong and Minnesota obviously looks strong. And, and uh, you know, Kansas City is going to go through the same type of deal. You know, they – Looks like they're starting to pull the plug there and re- revamp, and so you know it's you know it can happen quick. In Cleveland, you know certainly they position themselves, and now they're like the they're the uh, top of the walk, and and um, just be patient. It uh, and don't don't uh, don't feel like my whole thing is with fans is that, you know you look at it like well now we're it's going to be five ten years. No, it can happen quick because nobody thought we were going to make it in 06. Yeah, that has a lot more credibility coming from you. Well, Nate, thanks for uh, so many great seasons with the Tigers and your presence in the Detroit community. Congrats on all your success with the Wichita Wingnuts. Thanks for those memories. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Nathan. Nate Robertson pitched for the Detroit Tigers from 2003 to 2009. He is co-owner of the Wichita Wingnuts. You've been listening to the Tigers History Podcast. I'm Nathan Bierma. The Tigers History Podcast is not affiliated with the Detroit Tigers or Major League Baseball. Follow us on Twitter at Tigers History and join us next time for the Tigers History Podcast.